Hey everyone, this is Andrew Johnson. And this is Jake Reiner. And you're listening to No Contest, a Noal Studio podcast. A series of conversations with placemakers on the stuff that makes us human and the stuff that humans make. Hey everyone, today we're lucky to be joined on No Contest by Dom Bergauer, the CEO of Archaeologic. Dom started his career in venture capital and private equity with Goldman Sachs in London. After eight years in mid-market and angel investing, he made the switch to become an operator and joined Archaeologic. As part of an international family, Dom's home base is Zurich, with frequent trips to the U.S. East and West Coasts. Dom, welcome. Thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate you joining. Absolutely. Uh, not every day that we get a chance to record with a guest all the way in Zurich. Um, so it's good to be doing this in the morning. Are you, uh, are you mostly from the EU or are you traveling back and forth from the States? So, so I used to travel a lot for business and family uh, because my wife is from the US. But um, yeah, the last couple of years have made that a lot more difficult. Um, at the moment, I can't, can't actually go to the US without being accompanied by my spouse. Uh, but hopefully things are opening up again in November. I think that's the rumor. So very, very soon. Well, if you're out here, we'd love to, we'd love to meet you in person. Let's make it happen. I'd love to. It. So, so Dom, to, to start things off for our audience, what is Archaeologic? So um, to try and keep it short, we're, we're a SaaS platform that uh, is trying to make building information accessible without hassle, essentially. And that that basically means we can serve all non-construction use cases. And I know that sounds like a lot. We're not doing it all ourselves um, across the building lifecycle. And we have a bunch of uh, native applications, which you can use straight out of the box. But more importantly, we have uh, dev tools, which allow our users to create their own applications. And that is, I think, the key part. And when we say we can serve all use cases outside of construction. Um, I think the best analogy that um, that we've come up with with is essentially uh, think of Google Maps. Right? There's other companies that that have um, created digital maps before Google Maps arrived, but they abstracted the geographic data in a way that made it easy to use, and then combined that with a set of dev tools. Yeah, and now we have an entire ecosystem of applications that are location aware. Uber, for example. Um, cool. uh, just because they made it easy and we're trying to do the same for buildings. It's fantastic. And, and for your in, like, how did you get into this industry? I can, I can tell you, Jake and I definitely took very different paths. I I've been in real estate for 10 plus years, Jake, almost five now. Uh, what was your path into the industry and your professional journey? And was there anything in real estate that you're like, Oh crap, this, I wasn't expecting this. Not really. Um, lucky mishap. Um, so as you said in the intro, I, I used to be an investor um, and then wanted to switch over to um, to the operating side to get my hands more dirty and started looking at lots of companies that um, I found um, exciting or less exciting. And when I saw Archaeologic, um, it was kind of like uh, love at first sight. So I'm not technically a founder. I, I joined the company a few months after it was uh, started by my partners, um, but it felt like there was something big there um, essentially yeah moving buildings into the information age we couldn't really articulate it back then it was only 3d um, but yeah that uh, was the beginning in 2014 and um, through lots of ups and downs and 
recently more ups. Um, it's been an amazing journey. That's good. Anything you wish you had known before going deep into prop tech? Um, I think prop tech, uh, not so much about uh, maybe being an entrepreneur a little more, right? There's a lot of hard learnings when you just uh, learn on the job. Um, one of the things um, that I think I learned the hard way was uh, yeah, hire great people more quickly and focus on the things um, that you do well rather than trying to learn everything yourself. It doesn't, doesn't really make sense. So it costs a little bit more money, but makes you move a lot more quickly. And um, I guess on the, the market itself, um, it was surprising to me how well the, uh, the real estate market broadly works, despite um, being a little bit slow on going digital. So there, there were some funny examples um, where I really couldn't believe what was going on, but somehow things work, right? Yeah. Maybe not so well, not so delightfully, but they work. Yeah, I remember um, when Andrew and I were, uh, were, were growing Lively, uh, which is a, a prop tech solution uh, for multifamily tenants. One of the things that we were so surprised about was that maintenance engineers uh, and property managers used paper tickets for customer yeah. requests. So if someone's toilet is broken, they put a paper ticket on the line and they'd carry it all the way down the line like a, like an old school restaurant. And, uh, but somehow it still works. Yeah. I had a, had a similar experience with one of the, with a very, very large company here in Switzerland, um, for Switzerland, very large, but one of the main players and, uh, early days we tried to sell our property marketing suite. And, um, the, the guy said, Hey, you know, Dom, I love your product, but I have bigger problems. Like, yeah. Like what? Yeah. We're, we're implementing our first CRM. And I mean, this is a company that manages tens of thousands of properties, right. Um, out of basically cardboard boxes. So right. I agreed with him. I said, yeah, probably you need that first. That's a good idea to start with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so, so on that, on that topic, not necessarily, uh, pivots and changes, but we do like to talk about pivots and changes uh, because those are most often the most natural reflection of user-centered and agile product development. What's been that path um, from the beginning of Archaeologic to today? And has there really been any big changes or pivots? Definitely. Um, so Archaeologic started as a 3D company. The The, the original prototype that was develop, developed was essentially a um, yeah, browser-based 3D viewer for real estate. Um, that was when WebGL wasn't a thing yet, right? It didn't work in Safari, but it was amazing, worked really well. Uh, people were super impressed. And um, I guess it made us also not realize that there's other things that we need to solve. So one of, one of the big pivots or I guess um, how we graduated uh, from the early days was literally to graduate from 3D. So we started adding 2D and also just database products uh, to our lineup. And that opened the spectrum because 3D really um, is most useful when you're uh, trying to communicate something that already exists, but not when you're trying to um, redesign a space. That's easier done in 3D, uh, 2D. And then I guess the other, the other big change for us was in the beginning, there was a lot of focus on uh, residential. Um, and we relatively quickly realized that that's very difficult. Um, it'll, it'll happen eventually, but uh, we pivoted to commercial spaces, mostly office offices for uh, for three reasons, really. Um, 
One is uh, offices are more functional in decision making, less emotional. So we used to have issues like, hey, my, my wooden floor looks slightly different than what it looks like in your 3D model. Right? And you go into endless back and forth loops with your customers. Mm-hmm. And the second one is um, office spaces have a lot uh, simpler geometries, essentially. Um, you know, on, on Resi, uh, single family homes are a nightmare, frankly, to move into a, the digital domain. And then um, also commercially larger basket sizes, right? Um, if you um, offer something useful for offices, it's just more, um, right. which is important, I think, uh, as you try to commercialize a, um, a new technology and product. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm wondering on that on that point, if you could clearly define your relationship with real estate partners, for instance, who does your solution support and how does your solution support those partners? Yeah, so... Um, I briefly mentioned in the beginning that we serve all parts of the building life cycle, but not construction. Uh, that's not our domain. Right. Uh, that's uh, Autodesk, you know, Revit, great product for that. We can't, um, we, we don't want to go there, at least not for the foreseeable future. So our uh, primary um, market segments that we serve are planning, marketing, and operations. And always view what I say now with a, I guess, with a focus on office space or similar, um, dark retail, for example, is something that is starting to happen, but it's mostly office spaces. And so, um, in planning what we are enabling essentially with our editor, which is the cornerstone of our application environment, um, is to just to make it easy to flexibly work with space, um, so that you don't need large expensive teams of architects, um, for relatively simple jobs. Right. You shouldn't have to learn Revit to slightly redesign, uh, redesign your space. It should be a lot more collaborative and simple. Um, and um, so our product suite is, of course, engineered from the ground up for the web. It's easy, much easier to share and um, I think a lot more flexible in where we can go with the product. And I think the AEC world still mostly lives in a uh, desktop class environment, which is a yeah, maybe it's more powerful in certain applications, but just heavier, a lot heavier. Um, and then, so that was planning. Then on the marketing world, um, I think it is extremely important to be able to show all users and that are not, you know, in the everyday job looking at floor plans all the time, what things um, could be like or will be like. Um, and that's where our 3D viewer really has its strength. So you design something um, and then you easily share that with uh, prospective tenants or buyers. Um, uh, And so in that segment, our our customers are essentially marketers. It could be the marketers of property, but increasingly also of product, furniture, for example, because that's in the context of space. And then the third one, um, which is really uh, getting a lot of attention right now is space operations, which um, broadly means um, how do I make the best use of my space that I already rent or own uh, based on um, actual operating data. So um, that's where customers use our SDK and APIs um, to essentially integrate um, our spatial information or spatial layer into existing data streams, for example, temperature data, air quality, occupancy, um, you know, room booking, desk booking, and so forth, 
and to visualize that information in a in a spatial context rather than in a in a database. Um, and uh, so the customers there are mostly um, yeah, younger companies uh, that are helping uh, owner operator tenants to get a handle on that data flow and to make it delightful to use. So when you, when you take, combine these three, uh, three, planning, marketing, and operations, there are some customers that can make use of all of these within one setup, right? And that's, I think, where then the platform is most powerful because you have one source of truth for the data, one data model, spatial data model, which can feed into planning, marketing, operations, um, and where changes propagate through all apps once you make them and you don't have to maintain your silos anymore. It's huge. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, I, I sort of see three three themes. I see the theme of creating simplicity for people who are maybe not experts or or, or architects in 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 spatial choices. I see the theme of creating connections. So having a web based uh, solution makes it so that people who would otherwise not be able to access plans uh, are part of a a, a process. And then I see the theme of perspective, which is providing this 2D, 3D, and data-based layers gives people knowledge that they would otherwise not have, which allows them to make better choices for space. Um, and all of those themes seem to sort of be predicated on you getting a lot of good user feedback to figure out a way for the product to serve everyone. Uh, and I'm wondering if in building your product, like what type of user feed feedback did you collect or were there observations that you made from your users that informed creating, you know, this sense of uh, simplicity, this sense of uh, perspective and the sense of connection? Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's been a long journey for us, uh, frankly, to figure out what, um, how to address this huge opportunity with the minimum viable set of components. Um, you know, to take a step back, we're talking about the largest asset class on earth here, which is not yet in the di digital domain as far as we're concerned. This is super early days, but you can't solve everything, right? Even space planning is totally different in India than it would be in New York. People have different preferences. So it's um, one consistent theme over the years has always been um, when we give demos uh, to friends, family, customers, users, no matter who, couldn't you also do x or y with this this is amazing and we always had to say well yeah i guess you could but that's not what we're currently doing because we just don't have a million people so um it took us a while to figure out what that means for the product and the platform but in the end um, what we now settled on um, is a bunch of components that we think will solve all of these problems either using our native applications or applications that others can build. Um, and in summary, those are uh, the editor. You do need an, a simple editor on which to collaborate to change space. Space always changes, and you need to make that easy. It's a viewer to communicate it to people. That's mostly 3D. It's a manager, which lets you um, slice and dice your portfolio of maybe a 1,000 buildings, um, if you have those. And it's the dev tools. Um, which we actually use to build the three that I just mentioned. Um, with that set of tooling, you can literally create anything, any spatial experience that you would want to create um, without having to worry about, you know, vector math um, or architecture. 
So I think in the past that, yeah, there's been a lot of user feedback, but that's kind of where we now aggregate it towards. And then um, today still, of course, there's a lot of feedback that we need um, in order to figure out where to especially develop SDK and API. So an SDK, uh, one of the big requests right now is a 3D SDK hmm. um, or um, an, an editor SDK, which is where it really gets complex. But yeah, it's, it's for us, one of the biggest challenges to date has been to figure out where to say no, because the market is just so gigantic. Right? There's so many things to solve in buildings and you just can't do it all end to end. You have to rely on creating a tool set that enables others to bring their creativity to work. Right. I, 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 any stories or anecdotes about how you got to that final tool set? Um, I think you put it really nicely. Uh, it's the, the most challenging thing, at least for, for Andrew and myself, when we entered the world of prop tech, was figuring out where, where to say no and understanding your lane. Um, how, did you, how did you as a team come to this, this lane? <laughs> Um, I, I, I think a lot of hard learnings there, there hasn't been any, well, I, I can think of a couple of moments where uh, breakthrough ideas came, but not necessarily because somebody said something smart. It was just, um, the blood, sweat and tears basically. And the one event that I think, um, opened, um, opened my eyes was when, uh, Aaron, um, who used to be with WeWork, he runs growth at Archaeologic is based in the U S uh, when he brought uh, came up with the the, the Google Maps analogy, um, that really tied uh, a lot of dots together. Um, where we're like, we, yeah, we had an idea here, there, here, um, and this is this is how we can now explain it, and also how we can bring more focus into into product development and engineering. Um, but you know, none of our investors or users were able to tell us what that minimum set of components should be. And who knows whether this is the final set. We probably will still have to make some changes, but we feel um, very comfortable now that we can actually solve way more um, by giving people that uh, those tools than we could ever solve ourselves. It's just not possible, uh, at least on an application layer. That's really interesting. Um, I love that the, uh, the metaphor of, to Google Maps, that 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 connection point was the uh, the key that unlocked a lot of um, consumer and partner understanding of where you are and where you're going. Um, I'm wondering if you could also just elaborate a little bit more and tell us about the Archaeologic brand uh, because I think that has something to do with the storytelling element of of your business. And to you, what's the meaning behind the company? Um. Yeah, I think I hope this is not going to be um, too controversial, but uh, we're essentially trying to to push the the balance of decision power and uh, inside of buildings towards the end user, from professionals to the end user. And I don't want to come. Uh, I want I don't want this to come across the wrong way, right? We're not trying to take away something from professionals because um, professionals should really focus on the super complex stuff. We, we want to empower the end user um, so that they have better experiences in frank, in the space where they spent 90% of their time, which is inside of buildings. And for most of us, it's extremely uh, difficult to, to make smart decisions. Even, you know, rearranging our living room feels really, really difficult sometimes. So um, 
our brand shouldn't be one where we say, hey, uh, let's let's uh, make a better Revit. That's absolutely not what we're trying to do. Um, we do have top-notch uh, architectural and software know-how inside of the company, but we're trying to basically put those brains into code uh, and give end users um, delightful tools so that they can better work with space. Um, yeah, and uh, I think that's really what, uh, what we stand for and what we're working on. And we realize this is going to be an iterative uh, process. Um, it's almost like, you know, you, you create um, a really nice nugget that makes the, the product better. Um, uh, and then you create another one and another one and another one. And eventually you can line them all up on a, like a string of pearls to automate things that previously just were not possible. Um, and we can, yeah, maybe we'll get into that, but I think we're just literally at the very, very beginning of um, helping end users to to do workflows that were just not imaginable um, unless you, you know, hire an amazing architect to do it for you over the course of months. I think it will become possible to do that once we understand buildings and um, at scale and have given, um, especially the creative community, all the tools to, to make amazing things. That's really, it's actually really interesting you say that because um, one tool that, that we use in-house here is Webflow, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, it's essentially provided designers a tool to be developers, right? You don't need to have a coding background. You don't need no JavaScript. And it almost seems like what you guys are trying to do is get into that like no code realm, but specific for real estate. So it's giving folks access like myself and Jake access uh, to these tools that generally you had been trained on, right? I, I'm not a Revit guy. He's not a Revit guy, but to have the ability to, to access and use and uh, put out compelling designs and share those with partners uh, is what I personally found so fascinating about Webflow. And it sounds like you guys are taking that on, at least head on, uh, which is very unique, especially for real estate. Yeah, um, great analogy. We, we love Webflow. We love Figma, Miro, right? All these tools yeah. that um, make it so much more delightful to uh, to work on things that you actually don't have an idea about, right? I mean, once Figma came along, exactly. I can start participating in a discussion that I just couldn't participate in before. It would have taken me ages to set up the tooling and synchronize something um, that's too complex. Um, and these tools are, are really making it delightful. And I think, yeah, this collaborative aspect of making things easier to use and more delightful to use will, uh, well, it's gotten a huge boost, I think, in the last two years. Um, and it's the way to go because that way you can activate input and creativity that otherwise just would have been, yeah, never discovered. Uh, no, that, that yeah, that makes total sense. So, so kind of shifting gears here. So, so as you know, uh, you know, no walls. Uh, this podcast, no, no contest, is all about celebrating people and companies um, in real estate and placemaking who are changing the game around spatial experience. How does or is Archaeologic creating a departure from the way things have generally been done? I know we just touched on that kind of that no code uh, kind of yellow brick road, but what if what are you guys doing? Yeah, I, I actually think it is exactly that. We're pushing the balance of power towards the end user, um, and I, you know that it's not it's not that anybody is trying to prevent that from happening, but I think the way the market evolved is that data 
and tooling in buildings is is originated by and for professionals. It, it takes a lot of know-how to you know set up the the, uh, the design and then construct the uh, Salesforce tower. Better make better make sure that it you know is structurally sound. Um, but then I think what happened from there is um, everybody uh, thought, okay, we have all this data. The building is there now. Let's put it, uh, push it into the operating phase of um, of that building because we we should be able to use it. And I think that's where the disconnect um, is happening. And given that it's so complex and so rich, uh, all that data that exists, um, the average user over the lifetime of the building just can't cope with it. And we're trying to unlock that. Um, and we can talk about how we do that. Um, but yeah, we don't think. BIM in an operating environment is the delightful way to go about it. Yeah. Has there been any challenges with taking on the kind of status quo? Um, yeah, for sure. Lots of them. Um, I mean, broadly on, on product, um, making a product intuitive to use is extremely difficult, especially, uh, I think, in this domain, because you're talking about uh, three dimensions, essentially. Um, and real world, uh, yeah, well, math and uh, complex engineering. So that has been very difficult, but I'm fortunate to be working with, I think, some of the smartest people in the space uh, that combine, you know, architecture, programming, and also a sense for design. So I, I think we're, we're on a good path there. And then in terms of distribution or sales, uh, for sure, the challenge is that um, often people who have been working with the more traditional tooling for a long time, you know, say as not invented here or no, uh, it can't, it can't calculate whether you know my office will be structurally sound after I shift the chair. Yeah, when we say, oh, maybe you don't need that depth of information for certain processes. So, kind of the um, just something new that might be less powerful in a very, very small subdomain um, can be uh, can be a challenge, but we've also seen that uh, that's changing rapidly. You know, with the, hmm. basically we work, um, not imploding, but we work um, changing a lot over the course of the last two years. And there's a lot of um, forward thinking people who have ended up in, in, in all kinds of places <laughs> and they're very forward thinking. So distribution is becoming easier. Yeah, fair enough. Um, that's it's funny you say that because we we are encountering a bunch of uh, WeWork alum and all of the the projects that we work on and the people we encounter. And it's fun it's fun to see them in different places. They are uh, planting the seed of innovation in a bunch of organizations. So that's a that's a positive. Totally big one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so Dom, so one thing that, you know, we're all about over here at No Walls is centering, you know, real estate choices, whether it's brand and design on people and their actual needs. Uh, I know you mentioned how like individuals in India have very different needs uh, than, you know, individuals living in Manhattan. Um, how does Archaeologic empower placemakers to be more centered, uh, sorry, more user centered in their designs? I think it's that collaborative aspect that we discussed earlier. So we we are not fully there yet, right? Where we have a real time collaborative editor 
um, on which uh, you know you could work like on a, a Figma or a Miro. I think they've done an amazing job at that. But it, it is essentially that it is making sure that um, the the user understands what is going on and what could be going on if we changed a few things. Um, and we're we're trying to give everyone the tools um, so that can happen. And I, I think really with existing tooling that is complex, that is very very difficult to do. Um, and now it's as, it's easy as sharing a URL, uh, texting a URL. Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, no, it doesn't work. We don't need a, a meeting room for 12 people. Make it eight and four. Okay, then it's a process of 10 seconds. So it's that sharing of information and make it um, making input collaborative. I think that's where um, uh, the biggest impact will come from. And then um, the one that's on, on the horizon as well is to start opening uh, the application environment to uh, to all developers, right? To... Um, if somebody has an idea of how to script something more effectively or assess whether something is an efficient setup, that should be um, something you can pull into the archaeologic platform and run um, and unlock that value for all users. Uh, doesn't exist yet, but yeah, early experiments are working. That's, that's pretty cool. And do you have any specific examples um, of opportunities where... Uh, you can use data and data visualization to think differently about programming. Uh, yeah, I think this this uh, there's a spectrum of that. Um, as long as people make uh, space programming decisions, and I'm saying people specifically because in the future, you know, we might be uh, working and living in such data rich environments that somebody makes or the machine makes a prediction before you realize that you need it. But when people make uh, decisions. I think um, visualizing data in a spatial context um, is so much better than just seeing a table of like an occupancy table. It just, we're built that way. Uh, we can look at a plan. Um, it can be a, uh, as easy as a heat map of where the office is busy and where it's not. And then you make a bunch of changes. It's not really rocket science, but it has to be displayed in a spatial context. And we make that super easy. But I think in the future, you can... Um, you can start extrapolating uh, all the data that you collect. Uh, for example, you know a a very large aggregator of data it could be a consultant, it could be an owner of space, it could be a large operator of space. Maybe they figure out a uh, a workplace happiness metric. They know in a certain setup people are happier than in another setup, um, and then you can automatic automatically run that against every single space that um, is in your platform or that you might even think of. You know, adding uh, to your portfolio. Um, so that's when I think data becomes really valuable. When humans would struggle to figure out, um, okay, uh, thousand buildings, what should I do now? Um, and then I think the other one, where um, having a really structured approach to building data can help, is um, uh, when you start running, um, for example, regulatory tests against the data. You could um, constantly run. I don't know, New York fire code against all of your New York properties. You, you change something and it would immediately say, hey, no, a violation there, potential violation there. Hmm. Please take a look. Um, and again, you can you can iterate in the beginning. Maybe uh, the system says, hey, take a look at that. And maybe in the future it says, hey, I've changed it. Please take a look and change, um, change it in the physical world. Got it. So, that, so that's more or less how you guys are 
maintaining your your spatial standards throughout your your product um, as the product evolves over time. Does that sound about right? Um, yeah, I think getting to a, spa- a spatial standard is um, is the first part. Um, yeah, we we haven't talked about that much, but I think so far the approaches have always focused on enforcing a certain standard um, in order to work with a certain product or platform. We're just saying, look, um, we realize most of you only have JPEGs and PDFs. Give them to us. We'll, we make sure that they're all standardized um, in a, a spatial data format that you can work with. So, um, and then it comes to, yeah, maintaining that um, that standard going forward. Uh, but if you don't have an apples to apples comparison um, in the first place, I think uh, the effort is useless. So um, the first step for us is to get thousands of plans into into the platform for our customers, and then they have an apples to apples um, comparison between all of them. Um, uh, but then uh, going forward on maintaining a um, a spatial standard. One of one of the things that I keep telling everyone is, um, look, we don't really know actually where this will be going, because uh, tell me who predicted Uber when Google Maps started to exist, right? We we just don't know what will come into existence once you unleash um, the creative power of uh, developers and designers on a lot of building data. So um, our job is to make sure you have access to standardized data and all the tools um, to make work uh, so you can work with them. And the rest we see as happening in third-party applications and and companies that choose to work with this platform. That's so cool. Jake, real quick, what, one point or one question on that. Like I knew like early on in, at least in like web design, right? There wasn't many rules or standards around like ADA compliancy, right? Like obviously a visual impaired, audio impaired really came into to factor. Is there anything that you guys are doing from a product perspective that has helped kind of defining that path, uh, not only for how to standardize your products digitally, but there might be something just missing in the digital kind of ecosystem of spatial planning. Does that make sense? So uh, not sure I fully understood the question, but uh, are you talking about products as in um, FFE or... Yeah, yeah, we're like, I guess like in real estate, in the built world, we know that there's a lot of compliances that architects have to take. But is there anything in your world specifically digital, right? The tool that you're building, like one thing that comes to mind, and I, I know you kind of alluded to this, but like in Webflow, when you change your text color across your entire uh, architecture of your system, it, no- it notifies you like, hey, the contrast levels are too low. Right, so that the user can't see the text. Is there anything that you guys have kind of uncovered in your product, uh, in the delivery of your product? You're like, oh shit, this might not exist anywhere else. Now we can help kind of push this ball forward and make sure everyone adapts to this. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're seeing early demands from a couple of very specific, um, uh, very specific types of customers where they want to run tests against potential leases before they sign them, right? Uh, will this work accord? And, and I don't want to get into too much detail. Um, otherwise I'm disclosing No, please stuff. do this. It sounds interesting. Yeah. I can't disclose who it is, but so they, they have very specific requirements in terms of, um, um, 
you know, service level agreements that have to be met, which are primarily driven by the space's architecture and certain, uh, certain things you can change with FFNE. Others are just constrained by the, the actual architecture of the building and the walls and where they're placed. And let's say you need to, you know, get a process done very, very quickly or sub one minute or two minutes. Um, it becomes very easy to start testing against your rule set before you make a capital commitment. And, you know, it, I guess this is similar as testing uh, New York Fire Code, but you could run any rule set against any um, archaeologic model uh, once that rule set has been defined. And you can, you know, hmm. uh, you don't have to have access to archaeologic developers to make that happen. Um, and that becomes extremely powerful. I, uh, we haven't talked about property search yet, but I think property search will get flipped on its head. You'll you'll just say, "Hey, show me, show me all the spaces that are applicable to my needs and available when I need them." Um, and don't only show them to me, but show them to me what they will look like once you've applied my spatial standards and my brand design, and then also tell me what it will cost. So I think. Um, and that's, I guess, goes back into the Google Maps Uber analogy. We just don't know what business models will be created on top of, uh, you know, building data that we truly understand. Um, I think it'll be completely crazy and hopefully it'll um, end up making much more delightful living and working environments. Uh, this I, My mind is blown. You know, it's funny. Sometimes in these conversations, you have a, a surface level understanding of, of the organization or the stakeholder. Um, but as we go through it and, and you answer questions, I start to envision all of these scenarios that you can use this data. And it's fascinating. Um, it's almost it, it makes me think that the, what ArcLogic can do for space is create options or demand for more customized space. So as companies start to learn from your data set, what makes for a successful outcome, um, what makes for a successful outcome in, in uh, uh, interior programming for a sales organization, what makes for a successful outcome for a marketing team or an engineering team, then they start to build rules that drive towards those outcomes. And when they're looking for additional space, maybe to expand their, their real estate footprint, they can test using ArcLogic against their rule set that they've defined specifically for their company and say, does this new space meet my needs? Or um, is there some, some sort of deviation that I can make in this space to make it more effective for my, for my group? Absolutely. And now imagine all the things that are in the space, right? All, all the whatever, the electronics and the furniture and the carpets and anything that is inside of a space to make it more functional and delightful. Um, is a massive multivariate problem, right? But there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to make your space nicer. And I think um, uh, in the future, we'll always be thinking about, okay, um, this might be a nice purchase, um, but I would like to know what impact, positive or negative, it's going to have on my actual working or living environment. And I think we will be able to put a lot more um, objective decision-making power behind all of the, all of these processes. Um, but again, like, I don't know what the Uber of buildings will be. It, right. It's not archeologic, right? We're trying to build that infrastructure um, that's sitting um, below everything. Um, if I knew, um, I'd probably find somebody else to do my job and start the other one. <laughs> right. Uh, that would be the rational thing to do. 
yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I, I'm betting that there's going to be a number of, of really um, massive applications that are going to embed um, your data layer and your intelligence in, in what they do and, and change the office environment. Um, I think actually to that point, there's there was a, a, a term that I wanted some clarification on, which I, I've heard a million and a half times used in a lot of ways, which is this concept of a digital twin, uh, li- you know, literally a, di- a digital reflection of, of a built environment. Um, and I saw it on your site and I've seen it before. And I was wondering if you could provide your definition of digital twin and how that how that relates to your solution. Yeah, so it it is a term that uh, can evoke good and bad feelings. Um, I think most broadly speaking, a digital twin is 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 the digital replication of a physical environment. And in the physical environment, you can go into very little or into a lot of detail. And I think the the digital twin concept that we all are familiar with is BIM. Um, yeah, you need to know where that bolt is and how strong it is in order to make sure that the building, you know, remains structurally sound. Um, the way we think about a digital twin is a lot more abstract. And, and again, I think the uh, Google Maps analogy is is a good one. Uh, you, you can't find on Google Maps, um, you know, how wide the sidewalk is. It's just, it's not there because you don't need it uh, for at least the applications that I know of. And so Archaeologic is a is a twin, but it is abstracted to the level that is hopefully the um, the right intersection between usefulness and detail, so that a maximum number of users can actually work with the information without getting too confused. Now, having said that, I think um, I mean we built our data model uh, in a way so that it is expandable. We're already seeing requests. Um, from some of our customers to add additional layers. Um, but they're nowhere near a BIM level. Um, it's mostly, so the way we actually define it for ourselves is, it is what you see. That's how we look at the digital twin. And so again, it's a user-based approach. Uh, you care about whether you have um, HVAC pipes that you can see you know, on the ceiling. That's sometimes a design feature almost. Um, one might want to paint it, but most users don't really need to know where the electrical cabling is running inside of the wall. That's where you use Revit um, or uh, some other tooling and not Archaeologic. So for us, it's what you see, broadly speaking. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I love it. I, I, you're humanizing the digital twin. Um, I, I think most of us don't need that nuts and bolts layer, and it's it's yeah. fun to see your application of it. So, so last set of questions here, and uh, you know, this is something that we typically do in, in conversations. Uh, we like to take a trip ten years down the road and look at the future. Uh, I think we we've alluded to a few of those um, projections today, but uh, just going a little bit deeper here, what ten years down the road, what do you think are the major changes in real estate? Yeah, so I think it, it does go into what we discussed earlier. Um, the way I would summarize it is that space will become a lot more dynamic in the way it accommodates user needs. Uh, for me, you know, I think the last couple of years we've really seen um, kind of empty city blocks, and then everybody has a school, an office, and a home at home. And clearly, that is a little bit crazy because buildings are expensive. So I think um, hopefully before ten years, uh, 
interior space will become a lot more dynamic. So you'll say, hey, I need to repurpose this um, within two or three or four days. And then you can actually make it happen somehow. The service providers are around to make it happen. The, uh, the equipment is around. Of course, the planning is around. Um, so I think that is something that absolutely has to happen, that supply and demand matching, which I think, again, Uber and you know companies like Uber and Airbnb have done exceedingly well. They match supply and demand dynamically uh, for an, an amazing end user experience. And end users don't even think about it anymore, right? It's just a couple taps and it happens. With space, it will always be a more, more than a couple of taps because people have to move things around, but more dynamic uh, interior space. I think that's what we'll see. That's great. And, and what is the role that Archaeologic plays in that future? Well, we'd love to power every single one of those decisions, at least in a very small way. Right? That's, um, that's our goal. We'd like to make it so delightful that um, everybody can uh, just use a teeny bit of Archaeologic without knowing uh, to, to make it happen. Awesome. Uh, Dom, last thing here. Where can people learn more about Archaeologic? Um, yeah, best on archaeologic.com. That's A-R-C-H-I logic.com. Um, you can sign up for free and play around and yeah, see where we get to. Um, and otherwise on Twitter at archaeologic. Sounds good. Thank you, Dom. Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of No Contest. Thanks a lot, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the No Contest podcast. For more information, make sure to follow us on social media or check us out at nowalls.studio.